today we're continuing in our summer series on the Psalms. And this week we're looking at Psalm 46, which is actually the song that we sang uh, previously. So hopefully it's, it's going to be familiar to you. And some of the subject matter that we have in this week's psalm is similar to what we had in last week's psalm. And the psalms, in a lot of ways, are similar to the gospel accounts. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about roughly the same sort of issues and the same sort of events that happen, but they do so from different perspectives. And the psalm that we're looking at today, 46, is looking at similar issues as the psalm that we looked at last week, Psalm 30, but from a very different angle. And so if you would, please stand as I read God's Word. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Most parents have had the, both the luxury, let's say, and the opportunity, not the luxury, but the opportunity to comfort a child after they have had a nightmare. And it might go something like this. Your daughter, two years old in a room, wakes up screaming, ah! Imagine that was a two-year-old daughter scream, okay? Wakes up screaming, ah! And you go in there, and you... You comfort her, oh, oh, sweet, sweet girl, what's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, daddy, I had a terrible nightmare, and I think that there's monsters under my bed. It's like, okay, well, let's just, I've got you. Let's talk about it. How do, I'm just, I'm so scared that there's still monsters under, under my bed. Would you check real quick? Okay, I'll check under your bed. Okay, as expected, there's no monsters under the bed, right? Well, tell me, tell me about your dream. Well, I was running, and my, my, my little sibling, and he, he, he got sucked away, and, and the hamburger, he was coming after me, and the hamburger was chasing me and trying to eat me. So, oh, that sounds terrible, because normally we eat hamburgers, but the hamburger's just trying to eat you. Oh, oh, sweet girl, I'm so sorry. Where, 
were me and mommy in the dream? Oh, yeah, y'all got eaten by sharks a long time ago, you know? But you go, don't worry, sweetie. I've got you. I vanquished the night the minute I walk, in, I walk into the room and the light flicks on. And then our perceptions of what's actually going on in the room, maybe this doll's moving, maybe there's a monster under my bed, daddy comes in and flips the light on and says, look at reality the way that it is. And in that moment, we exp- the child experiences kind of two alternate realities. One what they experience is a subjective reality. Because you go in there as a parent, you're holding the child, and they're still terrified. Children don't come out of nightmares going, oh, yes, rationally, I see that there's no monsters under my bed, therefore I shall not be scared. No, they're still terrified. But the other reality that they sit under is the fact that objectively they are safe. They are absolutely safe because daddy's there. Daddy has them in their arms. This psalm speaks to something very similar. And so what we're going to see in this city unshaken is three things. The first thing we're going to see is God in the turmoil. God in the turmoil. The second thing we're going to see is God in his city. God in his city. And the third thing we're going to see is God in the earth. God in the earth. So we'll start with God in the turmoil. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. But I want to begin with the word picture that we have in verses 2 through 3. And this might be one of the most striking word pictures in all of the Psalms. Verses 2 and 3 say, Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. What we see here in that picture is that the psalm takes two of the most unmovable, permanent things that we could think of, the mountains and the earth itself, and it combines them with one of the most restless and menacing things we can think of, the sea. The sea is bubbling up and its waters are roaring and foaming. The mountains are dropping off like sandcastles that are melting in to a high tide. It's it's apocalyptic in its scene. This might be something you see in one of the the Avengers movies or some sort of post-apocalyptic movie where everything is just being destroyed. And so the picture that's being painted isn't a run-and-hide picture, okay? A run-and-hide portrait, if the psalm were to do that, it it might say something like, hey, there's a tornado coming, and it's coming right to you. You, as Oklahomans, know what to do in the case of a tornado coming to you. If you live in an apartment, you go downstairs If you have a tornado shelter, you get in it. If you don't, you go to the innermost room of the house with blankets and pillows and mattresses, and you make sure to bring the pets, if you like your pets, right? So that's what you do. This isn't a run-and-hide scene. The picture painted here is 
running and hiding will not help you. It won't help. Because something so gargantuan, so life-threatening, is that the only thing you could do is stand there and watch because life is going to be over soon. That's the picture being painted. Yet, notice the psalmist's reaction to that. At the beginning of verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Now, that's a striking thing to say if the earth is melting away underneath you. Yet it says, therefore, we will not fear. And why is it there? Well, it turns our eyes back to verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Why will we not fear? Because God is in the turmoil with us. He is in the turmoil with us. He is our refuge. That is, He's our shelter. He's our strength and power to endure. He's our help, our relief. It's like He's the cavalry that's finally shown up. And I want you to notice something about this too. Look at the language. It doesn't say God gives us refuge and strength and help. It's not, the picture is not God's kind of sitting up in heaven in a recliner going, oh man, things are really bad down there. Let me throw down some help and refuge and strength. Look at what the language says. It says God is our refuge, our strength, and our very present help. He himself is these things. Now, how do we see this stuff in our lives? When we experience the very earth dropping away from underneath our feet, when we feel like we have nothing to land on, when there's no stability, no safety net, you know, that's, it's a time in our life where everything positive and strong, holding things together, seemed to just come unraveled. The earth is giving way, and you guys can think of many things in your life where it feels like that. And yet, you know what our tendency is? When it feels like the earth is giving way, when the mountains are just melting into the heart of the sea, we still try to grasp on to something. The earth is going away and it's going underneath, but I'm going to try to grab onto something to keep me from going under with everything else. But the thing is, most of the time, the things that we grab onto are not God himself. They're other things. What do we feel like the earth gives away? Some, some of us who struggle with anxiety... I go, well, I'm an anxious person. Totally get it. That's what that is. Why do we feel like the earth gives way? Some of us, we feel that way if we're going to be five minutes late to something. Have you seen this in your household? And a lot of times it happens coming to church, right? We're running late. And if I could just use my, my own family as an example... Not because it ever happens in my family. Son, get your shoes on. I don't know where they are. 
Go find them. Well, I don't know where they are. Well, go look. Where should I look? Go look everywhere. I don't know. Well, that's a lot of area to look after. We have to leave in five minutes. Otherwise, we're going to be late. Daughter, why are you not dressed? What? Where are we going? It's Sunday morning. We're going to church. It is? Yes. Are you sure? Yes, I think so. And then you get all worked up and you're... Next thing you know, you're yelling at them, you're yelling at the kids, yelling at the spouse. You should have put his shoes where he could find them. Like, that's her responsibility anyways. And then, we're going to be late to church, and you get, get here, and you're late to church, and you know what? Nobody cares. <laughs> but you're in, like, a 15-minute mode of where you feel like the entire earth is giving way. And you're grasping at everything to try to fix that situation. Why do we feel like the earth gives way? Some of it's just real stuff. Every month, maybe the bank account hovers around zero. And you count the pennies. And the apartment rent goes up. Or the price of milk goes up. Or the price of gas goes up. And it feels like there's nothing you can actually do to change it. And every purchase, every paycheck feels like the mountains are slowly just falling into the sea. Um, why do we feel like the earth gives way? Maybe not, not fulfilling other people's expectations. Whether it's a spouse a boss, a coworker, whatever it may be. It never seems like you could do enough. And there's critiques, and you feel like, well, I keep wanting to do more, and it feels like there's nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do, and the earth is going, it's just dropping out from underneath me. We have all sorts of reasons for turmoil in our lives. If we take the picture in verses 2 and 3, I think it can be applied to so much of our lives. If you're a student, let's say you're an A student and you get a B, this is what that feels like. That B is the earth is giving way and the mountains are melting into the sea. It could be all sorts of anything. What the psalm is pointing our eyes to is not the catastrophe, but the fact that God is with us in the turmoil. He's not just tossing down little bits of strength and things like that. He is actually with us in it. He himself shows up. And he gives us hope in the turmoil. He gives us hope in the turmoil in two ways. First is by being in it with us. Friend, you are not alone in it. You're not alone when you're five minutes late. You're not alone when your kids aren't obeying. You're not alone when, you're, when your checking account has zero dollars in it. You're not alone when you get a B. You're not alone when your spouse is having a very bad few months. 
So that's the first thing. He is with us in it. But second, he gives us a vision of the future in which no turmoil exists. And that moves us to the second point, God in the city. This is verses 4 through 7. The picture of great turmoil in verses 1 through 3 turns into a picture of great calm in verses 4 through 7. You see a gentle river in verse 4 replace a roaring sea. You see an unshakable city replacing the earth giving way. And so in verses 3, we're in the turmoil, but in verses 4 through 7, the turmoil is actually outside of the city of God And inside the city of God is God and his people. The nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering. And we are with God in this unshaken city where there is no turmoil. And God and us look out onto this and God calls out and says, Stop! And all of the nations melt away. So we're in the city with him. We're in the city with him. There is no turmoil with us. So God in the city then moves into God and the earth in verses 8 through 11. In this last section, God is comforting us. He's calling us, as it were, out onto the balcony to look out into the earth to see what he will do with our oppressors. Think of this grand house, if you will, and God is calling us out onto the balcony, or you're out into this castle, and you look out into the fields, and you see soldiers, you see oppressors. God says, come to you. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation. What does he do? He utters his voice and wars cease. Bows that are shooting arrows, trying to shoot arrows at you, what do they do? They break in the archer's hands. Spears, when they're thrown, they shatter. Chariots are stopped in their places because they're set on fire. And then he says in verse 10, Be still, be still, and know that I am God. And this command is actually to two groups. It's to the group outside the city, but it's also to the group inside the city. To those who would harm or destroy the people in God's city, God says, be still, stop. Have you not seen me end your wars? Have you not seen me break your bows? Have you not seen me shatter your spears and set your chariots of fire? There is nothing that you can do that can hurt my people because I am between them and you. Know that I am God and you are not. And at the same time, the command goes backwards to us, us behind God, behind the gates of his city, and tells us to be still. 
While in verses 1 through 3, we're tempted to grasp for anything and everything to give us solid ground, in verses 8 through 12, we're told to do this. Be still. Do nothing. Do nothing and know that He is God. He is in control. That's kind of a hard thing to do. So imagine that you're in a castle. And you're up on the edge where the archers set. And approaching, you see your enemy coming with chariots and spearmen and archers. And they're coming at your city. What would be your heart's inclination at that point? probably to be very, very worried, to be very, very anxious. Maybe to start doing the things to get prepared. Oh, man, we, we got to get the hot tar ready. I don't know if that's a thing. But they, you know, running around trying to do something, and God is calling to us and saying, be still, know that I am God. That is, know that I am in control. And so tying that back to what we looked at earlier, a lot of us, we can see our turmoil coming from a little ways out. It's very rarely, it very rarely sneaks upon us. Before it sneaks upon us, God is calling to us, be still. You don't have to do anything. Know that I am God and know that I am in control. I mean, just like in the passage that Cher read earlier, on Jesus' own lips, he says, look, guys, I take care of birds. God takes care of birds, and he loves them. Don't you think he's going to take care of you, his children? And he goes, look, I take care of grass. It's here one day, it's burn up the next. And that's been the case in Oklahoma over the last week, Right? We used to have grass, and now we don't have grass. And he says, hey, I take care of the grass. Don't you think your Father in heaven is going to take care of you? That's what he's calling to us as we see our turmoil beginning to approach. And so through the picture of God in our turmoil and God in the city and God in the earth, we're shown three really important things from this psalm. And the first is that God is with us. He is with us in the turmoil. He is not merely for us. He is with us. The second is that in our turmoil, God gives us a vision for when we will be with him in an unshakable city where all is made right and there is no more turmoil. And third, God will ultimately win the day. He sets our eyes on a hope and shows us that those who seek to do us harm and destroy us will themselves be destroyed. Now, isn't that the picture of the gospel? Isn't that the picture of the gospel? If God is with us in the turmoil, you and I live in a broken and a fallen world where our own sin and the sin of others makes this place oftentimes a very miserable place to live. So what is God going to do about it? 
God could have sent a laser beam or something or anything because he's God to strike out sin and brokenness and fallenness. What did he do instead? He entered into history to be with us in our suffering and our turmoil. He didn't consider heaven as a place to remain, but became like you and me to enter into our suffering. And the gospel also speaks of the day when this Savior who entered into our suffering will return to make us rest in his happy presence where we are with him and our enemies cannot touch us. And then finally, the gospel speaks of the day when our conquering Savior will finally and fully put all of our enemies under his foot. Death, suffering, sin, despair. And he will stomp them out once and forever. So friend, in our turmoil, God is with you. He gives you hope for a vision when one day you will be with him and there will be peace. And he also puts in us the hope that he will finally put to death our oppressors. It's often like most, some, most of our life is just like a bad dream. It's a nightmare. And we wake up and we call out, Daddy, help. And our Father comes and he helps us. And he casts away the night and he says, I am with you, my child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are ours and we are yours. And you're a God who acts and moves. That you give us hope and that you are our rescue. Help us to believe that in times of turmoil and help us to believe that when we see the turmoil approaching. Through Jesus we pray, amen.